Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. Dr. Ken Hansen back with us. He is a dynamic author, lecturer, founder of Treasures in Time, which is an organization devoted to disseminating knowledge of the biblical and classical world. He is dug on archaeological sites in the Middle East, lived in a very politically volatile region of northern Galilee, taught Hebrew on an Israeli agricultural settlement, and he has also worked with a television news gathering operation in a war zone in southern Lebanon. At the height of that civil war that left the jewel of the Middle Mediterranean in ruins. Dr. Hansen lends a timeless perspective to the challenges of the future. He's also a noted author. One of his books includes Dead Sea Scrolls, The Untold Story. Dr. Ken Hansen, back on Coast to Coast. Hi, Ken. Good to have you back. Good to be with you, George. And warm shalom from the University of Central Florida, Orlando, Judaic Studies program. They continue to find discoveries around Jerusalem, ancient sites. They're digging them up like crazy. What's going on there? It's unbelievable. Something is always going on when it comes to Jerusalem, when it comes to the land of Israel. Just this last week, as a matter of fact, there is a new report out that details a huge ancient complex, a government complex that has been uncovered. This is 2,700 years old from the days of the ancient Israelite king Hezekiah, just recently unearthed near the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem and containing storage jars, broken up, of course, but but bearing actual seal inscriptions in Paleo-Hebrew that read Lamelech, which means to the king or for the king. We're talking about the ancient king Hezekiah. There's always something going on, it seems. Isn't that interesting? It sure is. Let's talk a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant, Ken. So much ground to cover in the uh, two hours you're with us. Explain, first of all, to those few people who may not know what the Ark of the Covenant is, what it is. Well, my goodness, beyond Indiana Jones, we've got the biblical (laughs) story of the ancient Israelites who, according to the scriptural text at least, came out of the land of Egypt back in the days of the Pharaoh. We're not sure which Pharaoh it was, maybe the Pharaoh Ramsey, maybe an earlier Pharaoh, but that's the story, and they went to the great Mount Sinai where they encamped, where Moses went up and received the Ten Commandments and brought them down, and the Ten Commandments inscribed on stone tablets were housed in a special chest, gold-covered, intricately crafted by the Israelites, and they called it the Ark of the Covenant, the Aron Kodesh in Hebrew, the Holy Ark, covered with gold and resembling the kind of ancient chest we would have found in Egypt. We actually have examples of such Egyptian chests, and the Israelites made one, fabricated one that looked strikingly like an Egyptian chest. That that alone is evidence that, indeed, Israelites may have lived, may in fact have resided in ancient Egypt and come out with a piece of furniture that looked like where they had been living. And they brought that chest, that Ark of the Covenant, with them across the Sinai Desert, wandering for 40 years, brought it under Joshua into the land of promise, which the Israelites captured, according to the Bible, under their great commander Joshua, 
who conquered Jericho with its walls falling down. And wherever they went on their march of conquest, the ark went with them as if to guarantee their victory. Eventually, it was brought up to Jerusalem and housed in the great temple built by the venerable King Solomon. And there it resided until the temple was destroyed in the year 586 BCE or BC by the Babylonian invaders. But sometime in the mists of antiquity, the ark itself was lost. No trace of it. There's no suggestion that the Babylonians, when they destroyed the temple, ever took the ark with them. Uh, the, The prophet Jeremiah made an intricate list of the various furnishings of the temple that were taken by the Babylonians into captivity way back when. The ark was not among them. It just vanished at some point in the biblical record and has not surfaced. So where on earth might it have ended up? There are all manner of stories. Perhaps it was taken down to Ethiopia in mm-hmm. the days of the Queen of Sheba, and, and that's one bit of folklore. But perhaps, just perhaps, it was lowered down into the subterranean cavities beneath the temple, in what's called the Temple Mount, and simply hidden, protected there, And who knows, it may still be there, according to some intrepid archaeologists, including various Israelis who have actually been on the track, the the, uh, tracing the Ark of the Covenant for, for decades now. Why is it so important today, this quest to find it? Well, when we think of just how political things are, my goodness, we live in a political season, don't we? And everything is politicized, especially in the Middle East. This is an incendiary piece of territory. It's like ready to explode at any minute. I've got, in fact, a little quote from the chief justice of the Palestinians, Sheikh Taysir Tamimi, who said, and I'm quoting him, there was no Jewish civilization in Jerusalem. Many people lived there through the ages, and they left some artifacts, but so what? There is no proof of any Jews being here. And this is widely disseminated in the Middle East and believed that the the Jewish people just kind of showed up in the mid-20th century and basically took Arab land. So imagine how political this gets. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, and and imagine if uh, such an artifact were actually uncovered. And then bear in mind that serious archaeology in this most difficult tinderbox, it it, it cannot be conducted just because of the political uh, considerations. Now, think of the ancient city and the modern city of Jerusalem, where you have this vast, enormous plateau of limestone. Uh, It's greater in size than the Great Pyramid, as a matter of fact, and contains some of the largest limestone ashlars ever chiseled. Enormous. On top of that great plateau used to stand, according to at least biblical tradition, the Jewish temple. It's not there anymore. What is there today is the third holiest site in Islam. 
It's called the Mosque of Omar or the Dome of the Rock. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the great golden dome that people see in photos of Jerusalem. To it's this it's day. gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's one of the most beautiful buildings in the world, at least from my perspective. I've never seen anything so spectacular as the great golden dome of the rock. Why is it so important? Why is it the holiest site in Islam? It sits above the one piece of bedrock. It's a rocky outcropping on this enormous plateau. Now, King Herod the Great extended what was a natural hill with this natural piece of, of rock, extended it in all directions with, as I mentioned, this limestone plateau. It's, it's the size of 24 football fields. It's that massive, again, in size, larger than the Great Pyramid at Giza. Well, there's this one piece of rock which in Jewish tradition is the exact place where Abraham almost sacrificed his son Isaac, his hand being stopped at the last minute by an angel. Well, in Islamic tradition, this is where the Prophet Muhammad actually came to Jerusalem miraculously in one night on a mystical steed named Al-Burak, who, who transported him from Mecca all the way to Jerusalem in a single night, and the Prophet set foot on this piece of rock whereupon a ladder of light miraculously extended up into the heavens, and the Prophet was brought up to meet Allah himself, who took the heart out of his body and washed it in pure water, put it back into his chest. Down he went, back on al back to Mecca in a single night. That's why it's the third holiest site in Islam. That's why it is so very political. And that's why it's impossible to conduct archaeology, any serious archaeology, in this area. It's also the holiest site in Judaism. It is. So, it is. And hasn't it been threatened to be blown up? Oh, yes. As a matter, well, the, the dome has been threatened. Uh, on numerous occasions, and uh, how tragic it is. But, because wouldn't it be nice, as somebody said, if we could all just get along, right? Wouldn't it, it be nice? Sure would be. Especially in the holy city, where you have so many treasures, literally. Uh, there's an area in Old Jerusalem, I used to live there, um, it's about one square kilometer. That's it. And it's called the Holy Basin. And in this holy basin, we've got the remains of the three great monotheistic civilizations of the Western world, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. And we mentioned the mosque. We also have the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in that same area. I could just walk over there any evening. That's the holiest site in Christianity, and also the last vestige of the Temple Mount, that great limestone plateau that I've talked about containing the largest single limestone ashlar in the in the entire Middle East, one of the largest ever ever fabricated. Ken, let me, let, let me ask you, too, how far from that region where you were in Jerusalem was Jesus killed? Uh, he was crucified outside of Jerusalem, but how far away? Well, in those days, it was immediately outside of the old city, wall, the, the city wall of that day, I should say. 
Today, that wall was ex- has been expanded, actually, in Ottoman Turkish times, so that the, the location of the crucifixion is today inside the old city wall of Jerusalem. Some people think, well, that disqualifies it, because as you mentioned, he's, according to the text, he's crucified outside. Well, in antiquity, it was exactly outside. It's the place we call the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Uh, it dates all the way back to the mother of the emperor Constantine. We're talking Roman times. Uh, Queen Helena, she went through the Middle East and found various places which she claimed were authentic Christian sites. And the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, what what she created as the church, is, is one of them. But all the archaeology points to this as, in fact, the place. Uh, it, it's, an, it's incredible because we're 90, maybe 99 percent sure that it happened right there. Jeez, is it? It's got to be our inspiring to be there. <laughs> Absolutely is. Um, it's a little bit dank and musty these days because we've got an old, an old Romanesque piece of architecture, the church itself, Romanesque, very dark and dank, and some people find it rather depressing. But when you actually examine the archaeology, it all comes back to the archaeology. We have first-century tombs exactly there. In the center of of the church, we have one. Then underground, we have authentic first-century tombs. This had to be the place. And also, not far, we have a, a rather recent discovery, just within the last couple of decades, the place where Jesus of Nazareth, the historical Jesus, would have been tried by Pontius Pilate. And people don't wow. even recognize that it's there. They walk right by and they don't know what they're looking at. But it's it's a piece of rocky outcropping that dates from the days of King Herod the Great. We know exactly where Pontius Pilate would have sat on his, his praetorium, his little throne, where Jesus would have been brought out of the remains of an ancient gate and stood exactly before him, where the Roman soldiers would have been positioned. I've been there many times, and as I say, people walk right by, drive right by it. It's, it's part of the old city wall of Jerusalem. They don't know what they're looking at. But that's the archaeology, and uh, that's why I wrote my new book, Whose Holy Land? Archaeology meets geopolitics Absolutely. in the Middle East. Now, let's bring in the name Rabbi Yehuda Getz. Who was he? Rabbi Yehuda Getz. Here was a rather mystical rabbi, a modern Israeli rabbi. He was known as the Rabbi Emeritus of the Western Wall. People call it the Wailing Wall. This is the holiest site in Judaism to this day, the last vestige of that great Temple Mount. And Jews pray there today, weep, wail, throw themselves against the wall. I've been there, of course, many times. And this is the rabbi who's in charge of the wall, the wall. Now, bear in mind that uh, Jerusalem was a divided city uh, between the Jewish western side and the Arab eastern side from the Israeli War of Independence in 1947-48, really, when the British left, right up until the Six-Day War of 1967, Arab East Jerusalem was in the hands of the Jordanians, and there was an international border. Jerusalem was a divided city. It was like the Berlin. It was like Berlin, yeah. 
it, it was a, really a, a, hor- a horrific place, a barbed wire land mines, literally. Uh, a, a friend of mine, good Crazy. friend of mine, actually lost his leg when he stepped on one of those landmines oh. between East and West Jerusalem. Yeah. That's the reality of, of what the city was un- until the June 1967 Six-Day War. It was Israel's blitzkrieg, essentially. Israel conquered the Sinai Peninsula, the Golan Heights, a very incendiary turf, and the so-called West Bank, Judea, Samaria, and that includes East Jerusalem. Jerusalem was united under Israeli control. The border was taken down, the landmines all dismantled, and has remained a united city to this day. Back to Rabbi Getz, suddenly Jews had access to their holiest site. Imagine, from 47 to 67, Jews could not get to the Western Wall to pray. Literally, the divided city. Suddenly, the the Israelis have conquered the whole of East Jerusalem, united the city, and Rabbi Getz is there. He's one of the first people to actually move his family back into East Jerusalem, where where Jews had been living for centuries. Well, and, and as you say, though, conquered that, but they were attacked first. They fought back. Well, as a matter of fact, yes. Uh, first, the Egyptians had blockaded the Straits uh, of Tehran, uh, uh, and that basically uh, blocked Israeli shipping in and out of the port city of Eilat. That's an act of war. Then the Israelis initiated a first strike against the Egyptian air force and basically blew them up on the ground. And that's what initiated the actual war. Now, the Israelis then telegraphed frantically to King Hussein of Jordan saying, stay out of this. This is between us and the Egyptians, and yes, the Syrians were involved. Well, the response of the Jordanians was they opened cannon fire all along the the border uh, with the fledgling state of Israel, which uh, actually was quite truncated in those days. You've got uh, Jerusalem, you've got Galilee in the north, and a little strip of territory between 9 and 11 miles wide along the Mediterranean Sea. That was the state of Israel. And now it's being attacked by the Jordanians. Well, um, the Israelis responded, and uh, you're right, it was a defensive war. And they took all of the territory up to the Jordan River. This is ancient Judea and Samaria, and this is also part of my book. Uh, We have archaeology all over this region that proves that Jews were living here for millennia, as a matter of fact. And now they simply want to be able to live in holy areas again. And yet it is so very political, so incendiary. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.